matters and that lasts in our history for some reason. Like I don't do it because I'm trying to become this major star to last all the ages. It's just that I feel this duty and this responsibility to produce work of the highest and utmost value so that it lasts because for some reason that's just what I feel inside of me. Welcome to the Flying Fruit Bowl, a platform dedicated to the discussion and exploration of art in the creative process. I'm your host, Aaron S. And today's episode is the second part of a two-part conversation with the amazing artist, Trills. If you haven't heard the first part, please listen to last week's episode before continuing. Thank you very much. Trills' work is visually stunning, and he has developed a unique style that combines graphic elements, such as lines and text, with highly detailed colour pencil drawings because it's very different to the rest. Well, that's funny because like, it was, like I said, it came from ILY. So ILY was focused on like the relationship we can have with photographs as the surrogate for the actual relationship with the other person. And then just becoming content with the images and not even caring or wanting to have a relationship with the other person. Or also too, like we can have relationships or think we have relationships with somebody and covet those images when in reality, we don't even know that person. Yeah. And ILY2 is the flip side of it where ILY2 is about the human connection triumphing, triumphing over the digital era and the digital age, you know, because it's about the real life connections we have, whether it be with a significant other or a friend or a family member or relative, where that connection is real and sincere. It's just forced to exist be you know within these means but that series is about hope because and that's why the color palette from in that series it shifts into those warm skin tones because i wanted to emphasize the fact that like we're starting in that blue that computer blue sort of hue that i describe it as and it's moving gradually into the reality of the human person so the color palette is becoming warmer and it's becoming warmer because there's more life the life actually exists there so another thing I wanted to ask you about ILY2, um, like within the images, you have the the scrolling text, you know, the imagery of the scrolling text. And, and I want to kind of ask you, like, I personally think it would be really interesting if it was like almost as if it was an animation or some kind of, I don't know, like 3D render. And I was kind of wondering, like, have you ever thought about kind of extending your work into kind of more three-dimensional or kind of more technological means like you know maybe like augmented reality or kind of like just animation in general have you ever thought about that i like i thought i've thought of things like you know when i when i when i saw this question my first thought was like it might be interesting for me to like incorporate like drawing a qr code into a piece for example and seeing like what that would do but the thing about what i do like i really quickly want to avoid anything novelty or superfluous because for me trying to stay sincere and authentic to my practice is like really critical. So I'm, I'm really like a ground zero artist when, when it comes to like utilizing tools, you know, so I'm going to use like bare bones and build up essentially. So I don't want to like, that sometimes hampers my tendency to experiment because I won't necessarily experiment very far reaching, but the reason being again is because I want to make sure it's authentic. So it's like, I don't know, Maybe that day will come where it will just seem right and fitting for some work, but I wouldn't like start there. You know what I mean? Like I won't start with, oh, I'm going to make work with augmented reality. It's like, 
I need to make work. And if augmented reality somehow felt like the fit, then I would maybe experiment. But that's the, yeah, it's for me, that's just like the way that I work. So that's why I'm like, yeah, I don't know. Because you could also come down to it and be like, I could even just, why bother drawing text? You know, I draw the text that you see. It's like, why would I even do that when, if I'm going to use text, that's quite literally a font, I could just simply print it and then transfer it. You know, like, it's like, it's all sort of like goes back to that same notion, you know, where it's like, I'm using the tools that feel fitting, you know? Yeah, I would, just a thought I had in terms of like, it might not be something you want to do and that's obviously probably fine, but it's just an idea of like, because your work is about the digital age and kind of like, uh, like the growing technological revolution, I think it could potentially be an interesting idea. Or if you were to be exhibited in a space in which there was more kind of a fear of actual digital elements. So for instance, having your work displayed on a screen or having, you know, scannable QR codes or having augmented reality or having something that kind of extends the experience of an image and the experience of the gallery space beyond just the work. But I don't know, because your work is fitting for that, I think it could be good. But same time, do what you're comfortable with at the end of the day. Oh, no, I love Yeah, but that's the thing is, it's like I'm open to it, but it's just like hasn't happened. You know what I mean? I will say, though, the, the exhibit last year, um, what feels real, like, next to all of the pieces was actually a QR code that linked you to a video of the artist discussing the work, like sharing more about it. So like, that's why on my page, um, on my website for IOI two at the bottom, there's a video and that video was what accompanied the work, um, when it was actually exhibited. So it's like, yeah, like I definitely, in that case, I think stuff like that, where you're utilizing it to help, help, of viewers to have a deeper experience. I think that is a really great possibility. And I would do more of that. You know what I mean? Like I thought that was an excellent idea because it it allows viewers to watch this video of me sharing ideas about what they're seeing right in front of them, you know? Just for like in reference to the color palette for ILY2, the postmodern body of work has this value that I've sort of described as computer blue. And it's actually partly in reference to a print song, but um the reason why I chose that is because it's reminds me of obviously like the blue screen of death. It's sort of like a, a nod to that notion in computers, like the windows operating system. And then it also sort of denotes the sense of drowned. Like when, when the human body is drowned, typically they don like a blue persona. And so when pursuing postmodern body of work, I wanted that to be a really big hallmark. So like the 21st century royalty series features that a lot. And then, IOI too, to like mention, like to go, the reason I bring all that up is because that's the place where those figures start and it's coming right off of IOI, which again, likewise, it's featuring that same sort of blue, um, that blue value, which is a buildup of three specific blue colored pencils that I've used. And so as you move through IOI too, again, however, because I want to emphasize the way that the figure is sort of taking prominence over the technology and over the means through which it's being communicated to the person, it starts to warm. And the direction that it warms in, it actually is going towards these like rose-ish colors. So it's not to be completely towards the 
you know, skin tone necessarily. It's more about the warmth. It's more about opening up and enveloping. And that is supposed to tie also back into another series in this body of work called uh, Pretty Little Face. So it was a deliberate sort of junction point for me because ILY in and of itself, it's weird. Like when each of the series were started in the body of work has some implications on how they affect one another. And the reason I bring that up is because ILY came after I had already started Pretty Little Face, but it came before I started Digital Masquerade. And so ILY was sort of a bridge series, I felt. And so it was taking notes from the Pretty Little Face series in terms of composition, but then it was leaning towards Digital Masquerade because of the conceptual nature. And so naturally when ILY2 would follow, which came after Digital Masquerade was already established, it sort of lent itself to you know, take notions from the others as well. So all of the, like, it's very true with these series. I specifically lay out these pieces, like the way that they're produced, the way that their final like look is when you see them, especially on my website. And this is pretty true with the window series as well. The piece order has some merit behind it as well. It's another choice that I make essentially, you know, so IOI two is a prime example of that. And windows is a good example as well. But it's it kind of goes to a place I've mentioned before, not in our conversation, but I've mentioned in some, t- in some places, I think through social media, that I tend to sometimes compose work like a musician composes albums. And it's not to say that it's, I don't want to say it's like a always like that sort of situation, but it's often, I think, comes to that. And the reason I describe it like that is because each piece in and of itself, it ought to be an experience. It ought to function independently. But then when you marry them all together, there's then also something greater that comes from their shared experience. And so that's why the order of the piece is important, just like a track listing is important on an album. And the titles that I use are incredibly important, you know, especially like with the Windows series, I'm trying to wrap them under a sort of moniker that suits them, but it also is a part of a greater series. So it's very, I, I'm again, postmodern is very interconnected. It's very much like a web. It's very much supposed to feel a little tangly, a little engrossing, partly because it's meant to mimic that age, that technological age, that computer age. But I digress on that part. So what I'm actually quite interested in is how do you choose the titles for the individual series? Like where do you get the ideas from for the titles? I think the genesis of the titles is almost as just like just as fickle as regular inspiration for a piece is like, you know, I remember digital masquerade. I believe I just, the, the words came together. I, I think I mentioned, I do a ton of writing for my work and I don't mean just describing the work. I mean, most of my work in the development stages, it starts with writing. Like it starts with ideas and conceptual statements that are just kind of flowing within me. Like I just, my emotions and ideas often come out first as words a lot of times. And so through like my rumination, I remember one day, I believe it was as simple as that. I was just really struck by the phrase digital masquerade, for example. And that was how that was born. Or I think for ILY, it was a, it was a matter of wanting to, you know, borrow that acronym we use. And I had made a decision in the postmodern body of work early on that deliberately using lowercase was important, not just because 
it's something that we employ in the internet for shorthand, but it also felt like there's a laxity to it. There's a, there's a sense that it's not as in your face and it's more soft when you're using lowercase. That's what I find at least. And that's why it's become a hallmark of much of my work, but I wanted to grab, I wanted to borrow that intention and IOI, obviously it's, it's like a flippant. I've always thought of it as like a really flippant way to say, I love you to somebody. I feel like it's so easy just to type, I love you. And it's to me, I always found there was a bit of irony in the fact that we would shorthand something like that, because not only is it so low effort to tell somebody, I love you with text, but then it's, we've even boiled that down to be even less meaningful to just three tiny letters. So to use that as the title for that series, I was deliberately sort of pointing to that notion of, yeah, it's a meaningless sort of love. It's, it's falling in love with those photographs, you know? And then, so ILI too, of course, the flip side of it, that series that just really lent itself well to building upon that. And for me, I love words and I love language, but it's not just like the meanings of the words. I love the physical appearance of the words, because when you see the letters ILY, it's tiny, it's small, it's very inconspicuous. When you see ILY and then the number two, the number two is large in comparison to those lowercase letters. This sounds, this might sound really granular, but to me, this was something that I always found exciting. It's like the gravitas of that series' title is strengthened because the number two stands and towers so far above the other tiny little letters that precede it. And so for me, that added to that value and that meaning of the series that added such great depth, because again, that series is about the figures triumphing, like over top of the digital world. And so it felt like that two suddenly was standing above what came before. It was standing above the lies of the photographs because the reality of the the people between that connection is what kind of comes up more so. So yeah, again, I'm quickly, I don't know, I'm exemplifying. So maybe it's not a tangent, but that's sort of layer, like for the postmodern body of work, that's a lot of where these titles come from, from these series, you know, like, cause I have another series that I'm ruminating on right now and it hasn't been started in the body of work, but I think one day it will. And that title for the series like kind of exists, but it kind of doesn't. I'm like playing with it. And so it's interesting though, because just like the ideas for pieces come to me, the ideas for the titles oftentimes are in that same notion. And it's also very funny, I will say, because like I've found that sometimes I'll start with, this is the working title. And then a lot of times, maybe 70% of the time, it ends up sticking as the real title. Um, and there are a few occasions where I can point to very deliberately where it's like, that was not the original title. And there was one that was really considered. But most of the time I find that like the initial spark delivers that for me, you know? So it's like very much the emotional, conceptual bubble, like that meeting ground there. So I found that very interesting because as you and I have spoke about previously, like I'm a huge fan of words. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm pretty sure I've said this to you. I don't know if I have or not, because I can't remember what I say to people anymore. But um, I have a very long list and I keep a very long list of words and phrases um, on my computer. And it's like a long list of like, if I see a phrase that I like on a website or like an article, I save it. Or if I'm reading a book, I'll write it down. Uh, because they're always, I always like to start an image. If I, or at least I'm, if I'm sitting down thinking about like photography and what I want to create, I either start with a location in mind or a phrase in mind or a word in mind. Because I think words are really powerful. 
So I have a list of titles. I just haven't shot images for that title yet. It's just a case of like finding words I'm interested in and finding kind of emotions and thoughts and feelings. And then and having that as a starting point, as opposed to being like, oh, this is the aesthetic I want, or this is the image I want to create. And I just kind of felt like it's really interesting because I really understand what you mean when you say you can literally be going about your day shopping or whatever, and you will think of something and think of a title. And you've just reminded me, I thought of a title for the body of work I'm producing now when I was at work the day and now I've forgotten it. So I didn't write it down because I was at work and now I need to remember it again. So I need to think, really think about that. But yeah, I, I really get that. And it's weird how your brain just kind of pushes these things forward when you're least expecting it. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so funny, Aaron. We literally do like we work the very same way because yeah. that's what I'm with all my writing. I do like I have in my notes oftentimes. Yeah, I like have li- I don't have lists of they're probably our lists look probably totally different, like the way we structure them. Yeah. That's really yeah. essentially what it is for me, too. Like a lot of times that's the birthplace of a piece is just like this uh, for me yeah, a phrase or word that's relevant to you know a series or body of work or something like that's so exciting yeah i just love that because we really do work similarly in that regard if you want i'll send you a copy of it i don't know if i want to see it like just because that feels precious and i genuinely like if i get inspired by something on that list i I don't, yeah, I really don't want to, you know what I, like, that's a that's big fine. risk because then that's your precious list. Like if one day we happen to produce a piece that has the same name, then we know that it was just a matter of happenstance because I don't ever want that to be, you know what I mean? Wouldn't that be a really interesting connection though? I think. It'd be so exciting. Like, let's not let it happen organically. Let's not, you know what I mean? Keep <laughs> those under lock and key. I, but I okay. love that. Like, thank you for the offer. It's so cool. Okay, so I would just talk about exhibiting work. I don't think we covered it in the last part, um, but let's talk about exhibiting your work. So, so you've been exhibiting your work since 2017, uh, both group and solo exhibitions. So I just wanted to ask you, like, what has your experience of exhibiting been like so far? Overall, I think it's been fairly positive. You obviously doing this sort of thing, you grow to learn like where your work is best seen, where it's best felt, I, th- I think, as you do this. I've had exhibitions, especially when I was starting off, where I shipped a piece to a gallery and it was in a group exhibition and I was sent one picture and I was sent the piece back when it was finished and nothing else. And I remember one of them very early on. As a matter of fact, this could have been 2016 when I had sent this piece off. The curator, I was in touch with her and I mentioned I was out of the state and I was wondering, could she send me a photo? And the photo she sent me Um, it came, it came like probably a month after the exhibition, but it was incredibly small. And then in the photo happened to be my piece hanging on the wall. It was very, very small. And she was like, I'm really sorry. I didn't get a good photo, but you know, and that's like all I have of that exhibition that had ever happened. And I think as artists, it's really important to remember that that stuff happens all the time. I think with exhibiting, it's good to exhibit because you never know what's going to come from an exhibition. But at the same time, you have to be aware that not every exhibition is going to be worth your time or suit your work. And over, over time, I've gotten a bit better at vetting them, I will say, because you just have to figure out like, what are the galleries that you want to get in touch with? What are the galleries you want to get involved with? And it connects to like, what is the work that you are making? I've spoken before that I want to produce highbrow contemporary art and there are plenty of exhibitions, plenty of galleries in this country and in this world that are not 
geared towards that sort of thing. They are geared towards a different crowd. They're geared towards different types of artists. They're not geared towards career artists. Maybe they're geared more towards hobby artists. And there's not always a good way to figure out what that is in terms of when you just approach a gallery on face value, face like surface. But I think the more you put yourself out there and try to connect with galleries, you'll start to uncover like which ones are worth more and more your time, I guess. And I mean like worth more your time as in are suited for you and your work. So it's, it's strange, you know, like, and I don't measure the success of an exhibition on whether it's sold or not. Like that's definitely always helpful, especially for me, because I do this full time. It is my career. I need to make money, but I constantly try to bear in mind that the fruits of an exhibition can result in many different things and the connections that can arise can be many different things. So it's weird. I, I, you know, I have like this quasi sense of be smart about where you're exhibiting. This is me speaking to myself, kind of be smart where you're exhibiting, what you're submitting to what's actually worth your investment, because that's the other side of it. If you're shipping work, if you're paying for a submission fee, like these are all things to consider because you are not able to just like guarantee a return. Um, But then on the other hand, always stay hopeful. If you end up getting an exhibition, then just trust that it's worth it. Throw it on the CV after it's done. And if nothing else, it's at least another step on the rung. You know what I mean? The ladder rung. So it's funny to say that because I have a very good artist friend who within the last week, maybe, um, she just exhibited some work in London in a gallery. Um, but she was a bit unsure if it was a good opportunity. And she... I actually messaged her the day. I'm not going to say she is because she'll probably listen to this. Yeah. Um, but she messaged her saying that the gallery hasn't done any promotional posts about the exhibition. They haven't posted anything on social media about it. There's yeah. no pictures. They've sent no pictures. There's It's literally like there's they've had the gallery, they've had the show, the artists have paid the gallery, and that's it. And I said to her, I said, so look, I said, you know, you paid money to the gallery. Why would they then promote it? Because they've already been paid. You know, it's it's kind of like it's I don't think it's obviously not I don't think it's a right setup. That's not at all cool. I don't think that's a good idea. And it's it's kind of given me a, a certain impression of the gallery. That's some that's it was a gallery that I've kind of I've heard about, let's shall we say. Um, but I th- I kind of feel like that's really disrespectful towards artists because you know, you're providing them with an opportunity. And yeah, okay, cool, don't be wrong, you know, having your work exhibited in London is is great, but you kind of need the proof of that. I think the proof is actually really important, you know. Because an event you want to showcase, you know, you'd want to have like an opening reception. You want to have, you know, people go and see it. And how can you do that if you're not getting any promotional material for that? I I don't want to get too cynical and I don't want to go too deep on a tangent yeah. because I do want to be respectful to galleries. Yeah. But to be perfectly honest with you, that I feel horrible for your friend. I have so much empathy too, as like a fellow artist doing this. And I, yeah, that's, pretty shameful on the part of the gallery if they're because essentially Aaron it sounds to me like they're a space that is in London and they mm. happen to have four walls and a roof in London so they put <laughs> it out online that they're a gallery in London because essentially they're just wanting to you know make money and if they want to like there are so many galleries that will deliberately do that stuff and unfortunately again I don't want to be too cynical but Artists really need to be careful. There are a lot of platforms out there, especially online stuff that is essentially people who just want to take your money and they have no 
desire to actually help you. And I don't know if it comes down to those sorts of places making all of their money from say like one artist that they happen to connect with that's very successful so they can just afford to sort of not do anything for anybody else. Or if they are just people who have a ton of extra money, who just simply want to make their investment back on some like building they bought, you know, it's, it's hard. And I, yeah, there's, I, I've encountered stuff like that. I've invested money and time and, and effort into exhibitions that I truly just didn't feel like cared about me or the work at all. And so it's, it's really, really hard. And it's, it's stressful. And that's the thing. That's why people really need to be careful just because you see art gallery and large city right next to each other. You can't expect there to be able there to be, you know, an actual amount of notoriety or success with that gallery. The reality is the galleries of high regard, the highbrow galleries, the successful galleries are very hard to get into. So if, if a gallery reaches out to you that is based in a major city and you don't necessarily consider yourself to already have a lot of traction or a large following. If if somebody's reaching out to you just on uh, for I don't know where, and especially if they're telling you about money or that it would cost you something out the gate, especially if that's involved, you need to let some maybe at least yellow flags go up, if not red ones, because the truth is that there are people out there who just want to take advantage of you. And there are people out there who I just don't think have the best intentions when it comes to that. Just do your research before you participate in any kind of show. Before any money's handed over, just do your research. Yeah, I agree. And over time, you'll get to you'll get a hand of it. You know, you'll be able to smell like from from about a mile away if something doesn't seem quite right. And definitely go on your instinct on that too. Absolutely, good advice, I must say. Um, so, at what point did you feel like you were good enough to start exhibiting your work? It's weird. I mean, because going back to what we spoke about earlier, how I really feel this is a call, I never really feel like I'm good enough. But I just, again, feeling like this is a call that is something I'm supposed to do. Exhibiting just feels and felt at the time, my earliest stage, as a necessary essential part of the career. As a, as a contemporary artist, exhibiting the work so that it's connecting with buyers, so that it's connecting with viewers and so it's growing the traction just feels like from a business perspective to me like what I am supposed to do so it never really for me was a matter of I am good enough as much as it was that is what an artist does and so I need to do that in order to help the career truthfully I would never describe myself as like good enough to exhibit genuinely and that's part I partly I think it's weird because I also, again, I feel like if, if you're meant and called to be an artist, there's room for you. There's room for all of us as artists. I really believe that. I, I believe that if you're called to be an artist and somehow you are going to produce something that's going to resonate with others somewhere. And again, it will connect. It will work. It will find its way. It just doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, you'll be able to pinpoint how that's going to happen. So again, for me, I just felt like exhibiting is something that needs to happen business-wise in order to find that engagement and in order to connect the work with those individuals. I think that's an interesting take because I feel like there has to be at some point in your, your artistic journey where you're like, okay, cool. I need other people to see this. I, I honestly, I don't, I, I guess that just felt like maybe it was all in the same sort of spring up of me naturally in terms of you know, feeling like I was supposed to do this, that 
I was supposed to produce work to be shared. I think the idea that art is made to be shared was something definitely early on within me. But yeah, I, I mean, this is maybe a weird digression, but it's probably really worth sharing. Aaron, when I first started drawing, I mentioned it was at the beginning, my last year at high school, my senior year at high school, when I started doing portrait portrait work, I attributed it to luck. I thought the reason it looked good was because I was lucky and it happened to work. And then I kind of continued to think that the six like continued good work that I was producing was simply a matter of luck. And I've described before that I discern a lot of things and I vet a lot of things and I vet this career and I vet this call over and over inside of myself. And I have been for, for all these years. And I, to be honest with you, there was a time early on, I struggled with sketching. I could not sketch because I could not, it's weird. I just, I was afraid of wasting time. I was afraid of doing a sketch that was poor, that didn't matter, that was worthless. Part of it comes from my sense of intentionalism, like I've described, where there's meaning in everything. And so I don't want to do something meaningless. I can't just doodle. I can't just fidget. Like if I'm going to sketch, I'm going to sketch very intentionally. And that was just something I felt. But what that did is it really impeded my ability to sketch. I was genuinely afraid to sketch. And again, it kind of all goes. So the reason I bring all this up is because I kept attributing the work being good to luck because I looked at the work and I, when I have, when a piece is finished and it's removed from me, it has its own life. So I view it differently. I don't look at it necessarily as like my work. I see it as certainly from me, but through me, but it's its own thing. So when I look upon it, I behold it and I'm like, it's beautiful. And I get excited. I do love it. But er, that early on that detachment made it seem to me like, wow, that turned out great. I got lucky again. You know, so it never was, I've just always, so I've always lived with that. And I'm actually grateful for it. It sounds maybe really strange, but the reason I'm grateful for it is because I think it really helps me to avoid falling into that ego trap because I don't want to think that this is, you know, I, I don't want to think that I'm an amazing artist or anything like that. I, I, but I've reached a point, I think now where I've matured enough to, I get to, I am excited about the work. I love the, I, I never stopped loving the work and now I love the work more um, because I see all that's been produced and I'm so excited and it, and it drives me to produce more. You know, it's like, it's never a matter of I'm a great artist. You know, nobody had to convince Trills. He was an artist more than Trills, just like I said. And so that's what it's, it's almost like the proof is in the pudding, so to speak. Like you get to look back at the work that's been produced and give thanks. And that's the most exciting part is seeing that that is good work, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I think that you're very right, particularly when it comes down to ego, because you're right. Because if you're going to get into the mindset that you're, everything you're going to produce, everything you're going to create is going to be amazing. You, you only produce great work. You know, that moment in time where you produce something that isn't as good, you're going to seriously crash. Well, see, that's the thing is I believe if we're always if we're always producing the work that's asking to be made within us, if we're always staying authentic and true to our process that's been put in us, like if this is what we're made to do, there will always be merit in the work we produce. But it's got to you got to be careful, I think, to not fall into the ego trap, because then that's where the sincerity, the, the authenticity, that's where it falls away. And I think when you lose that, that is when you won't do good work. At least that's what I believe for my practice, that if I'm really moved to produce a piece, 
because I really don't produce unless I'm truly like, it's gotta be moved. I've got to feel it within me. If I'm not there, then I won't produce it. So I believe that the pieces that I'm really made to produce are the ones asking to be made. And therefore they will have merit. If that, if that makes sense. That does. That's an absolutely incredible sentence. I'm like, that's so cool. My next question for you, uh, which is going to lead um, into the social media section in a minute is mm -hmm. do you feel like you're part of a larger art community? No, mainly because for me, where I am at present in the state where I live, I live in Michigan in the United States. I happen to be an hour north of Detroit, which is sort of the closest major art city. And it's a matter right now of not being able to really afford to move down there. Yeah. But because of that, and because I've been sort of working that far away, I definitely feel sort of isolated. I don't feel like I'm a part of the art, in our community. I will say over time, the more I exhibit, the more the more comfortable I feel with that. And I, it's a weird, it's a weird sort of mixed bag because I am the type of artist that loves to work in seclusion. I love to work in isolation. I thrive in it. And the internet actually affords me that opportunity to be able to work wherever I want and still connect with people. That is a plus yeah. side of it. And so I'm able to utilize that to a degree, which is nice, but there are a lot of times when being separated from an art community is very challenging because I essentially just live and and make my work in a working class environment, which can be challenging at times because, you know, I'm doing a very unconventional career amidst a sea of people who are doing typical jobs and doing regular jobs. And so like the psychology there can be challenging. I think the plus side of having an art community around you is you have like-minded individuals who are pursuing the same thing. At the same time, though, if you have like-minded individuals pursuing the same thing, sometimes it can feel more competitive, too. So, yeah, I definitely, I don't know. I, I would like to think that the Internet does sometimes afford me a place of camaraderie and solidarity. But I think we all know that it doesn't always do that a lot of times for folks. And it can almost make you feel more isolating. So I try to stay positive because there are good connections that have come on there just like you. Like you and me, like <laughs> this is a really good, yeah, you, we yeah. are friends truthfully. Absolutely. And so it's, oh my goodness, you're a gift to me. You have no idea. I don't want to go too much, too much into that, but you are truly a gift to me. And I look at you and I look at that situation as, you know, I, yes, I am a part of some other like art community to a degree. Like there are other individuals who I can point to. Yeah. Cause I was going to ask you like, what, not what, like how, important is it for you to talk to the artists and is that something that you do often it's such a weird question because again on one hand it is really beneficial i think for folks i a lot of people really benefit from group critiques and i never experienced those during the brief time that i was in school because as mentioned i didn't really take a lot of art courses i only took like a handful so i did critiques but there were very few and so i was never exposed to them which means i actually i just sort of got on without them and I didn't really need them, you know? And so not having them now doesn't really feel much different. At the same time, however, there have been some really, really good moments I've had where it is in discussion that I'm sort of inspired by stuff from other artists. Matter of fact, the a curator that I really connected with last year, last summer of 2021, her and I are... We, we started connecting and we had conversations that helped me develop the body of work the last five years. And so 
it was a, a situation where this body of work was in me and I had the ideas, but it was so helpful to bounce things off of her. So I think for each artist, you sort of have to vet what is it for your practice that is like suitable for critique, suitable for those interactions with others. I think some artists need it much more than others do. I have often also sa said that there are as many artistic processes in the world as there are artists, because truthfully, each is unique to the artist. And so, again, even though I don't often have those opportunities, I'm sort of glad that I'm in a place where I am nonetheless. I, I mentioned how insecure I am earlier, and that's the thing. I I really want to be, I'm glad that I haven't been interacting with a lot of other folks because I'm worried that I could be impressionable. I'm worried that maybe had somebody, had I had conversations earlier on in my career, that it actually might have influenced me. And as a matter of fact, I did have a conversation that influenced me with a much older artist about artist statements. She actually pushed me in a direction to make artist statements less conceptual because prior to meeting her, my artist statements for my work were very conceptual and it was much more spoken from my emotional center. Whereas after meeting her, I made it a point to make them a bit more reader friendly. And in one sense, I'm glad for that. I think what it's done is it's helped me to be more concise and deliberate when I write artist statements. But on the other hand, I've met more people now who are like, no, 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 share, share what, what is, what needs in that artist statement. Like, don't just, you know, cater to viewers. So I'm sort of going back on that advice, but again, it's a situation where her advice pushed me in one direction and the advice of others is helping me sort of balance that. You know, so a, a poisoning the well is something that I'm really big on too, you know, because again, if you're trying to do things authentically and sincerely and listening like within you, you have to be careful of the outside voices because sometimes they're not going to be helpful. Sometimes they can be obstructive or obtrusive. Like not everybody is going to have your best intentions in mind, unfortunately. That's so true. And I think you're right. Most of the people I give advice to that does not help them. Um, but you're right in the sense of like, you know, you can you can give people advice hoping to help them, but it actually could do more damage because you're giving them more to think about if they're already overwhelmed enough thinking about the things they're thinking about. Yeah. And I think you're you've got a good point because it's just like the strength you now have is that you're certain of your work. You know, you don't need validation from anybody. You don't need people to say this is good, that's that's good, because you know yourself. You know, whether you think it's good on the surface in terms of like if you're good enough, but you know that it's like the honest you, you're, you know, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like you're creating Absolutely. authentically. You're not creating for an audience. You're not creating because it's going to sell. You're creating because you need to. And mm -hmm. I think the fact that you have never had like group critiques and stuff, which is very interesting. Um, but I also feel like I can understand that. And I actually really respect that. Like I really respect that. I think that's, uh, it's quite different to what I'm used to. Cause I'm used to artists being very much like, oh, let's all have a group critique or, you know, oh, you know, they want like feedback on their work. But I think sometimes have, getting feedback on your work is helpful, but it has to be the right kind of feedback. That's the issue. Yeah. And that's what I like. Yeah. People don't like have the best intentions. And I think it's not even intention. Sometimes I think it's just people don't understand. And if they don't understand, then they might just give you the wrong advice on accident. And I, for people who know me and who have spoken to me, especially other artists, I hope it's very clear on the surface when you do discuss work with me that I try to be incredibly ginger when it comes to sharing about somebody else's work. And especially like 
I usually won't say things unless I'm pressed or unless I really feel positive. I really sincerely feel something that I believe is really just positive to share because I recognize the weight of words. I recognize how powerful, like when you give somebody a piece of advice, and I think this is true in life in general, you, you sort of have an um, obligation to say the right thing to them. You sort of have an obligation. We all know how easily you can take advantage of somebody by telling them the wrong thing. And maybe that's from me feeling like I, I just know, I know in, because of the gift of words that I have, I could take advantage of people. So for me, I feel, I feel weight that I really, I think because I have an awareness of, of, of me and of the human mind to a degree and other people. And I just am a very, very aware person. I think I need to be very careful with that because if I give somebody the wrong advice, that's coming on me because I should know better. You know, I just always try to be very prudent. And so I think that has to be true for art as well. Like, Every, like I said, every artist has a unique process that's unique to them. Authentically making for an artist is going to be unique to that artist. And yes, if they want to bounce ideas off, great. If they ask for advice, sure. But even then, I really personally feel like I need to make sure that I am being as respectful as I can and honor that artist and their process as much as I possibly can. So that's actually a really nice segue into the social media section because one of these questions here is about feedback. It's about kind of like what kind of feedback do you like to get from your work and what kind of feedback do you like to give? I think the best feedback that I get from the work is when I don't know if somebody tries to do it, but I can sense it. It's when somebody is moved because when somebody is moved, they just will tell me the thing that I wanted to hear. Because I can't tell you what that thing is, because I oftentimes don't necessarily know. But when they do, I'm like, that is awesome. Thank you so much. Be- and I mean that in the sense of like, I just can tell when somebody seems to be getting it more than somebody else. I get people, people love to be like, oh my goodness, look at that figure. Look at that human face. It's it's oh my goodness, it's stunning. And it's like, thank you, you know, like, yes technical skill so glad it turned thank you wonderful but it's like i can kind of tell that you know they that's where they stopped they sort of like they saw the human form they saw a they saw a pretty little face yes exactly that's we could dive into that series because of this um but like they saw that beautiful image and that's where they stopped and that's to them it was the aesthetic and you know that's okay but to me, that's not really the feedback I'm looking for. So I just kind of, you know, I always say thank you, but it's, I know right away that that's not, you know, that's why Instagram and social media, it's not great, you know, because people will see things boom in an instant and sure they like it because it looks nice on the surface, but unfortunately that doesn't mean that they sat with it. You know, you do get cases though, however, where people will, where people will look at the image, they'll save it. And in those instances, people will message you personally, or they will actually just, I don't know, especially like, so for me, when I see something on social media, which is rare because I use it strictly as like just the platform to put the work and share the work. I do not use social media really to look at art because I know how just poor of a means it is. So in the moments though, where I do, if I am really moved, I just, I, I will, if I make a comment, I will be doing so one very sincerely, even if it's a simple comment, but two, I'll try to say something a little bit more 
than just yeah. like beautiful, you know, like, or I, I, even when I say beautiful, I promise if I just say beautiful work, I mean it. But like in reality, if, if there's something about it that grabs me, I want to at least try to give like a nugget of that. I'm not going to be able to give them a diatribe or an analysis in an Instagram comment, but I know that I can at least try to give them what I would want to hear in terms of, you know, I was moved. I was moved in this direction. This struck me. And I'm, I congratulate you for that. I, there's, this is what I found was so successful in this for me, you know? So again, like going back to when you and I first interacted, I was really touched because you valued how I wrote, because to me, there is so much care that goes into how I write about the work and speak about the work. And so for you to very particularly comment about that, I just felt like, I think this person is moved more. I think this is more, I think this is authentic, you know? So that I think is maybe a good way, just a good example of somebody of the type of feedback that I like to get, so to speak. See, I think we're very similar because I do exactly the same thing. Like, you know, I look at a lot of art every day. Um, and if I say something that I particularly like that I really know I like, <clears throat> I'll do two things. I'll do one of two things. I'll either save it because I know I'm going to go back to it later and reshare it at some point, or I will send that post to the artist that posted it and tell them why I like that image. Because I think it's super important. You know, I, as I always say, like I, for me, I think the best feedback is in the DMs and the messaging and the voice messages you send to people. And the best feedback is a feedback that people don't see. Because at the yes. end of the day, like leaving comments on somebody's post is great. It's, it's awesome to see an artist who has got, you know, hundreds of comments saying their work is great. And I know plenty of artists who have that. But at the end of the day, that's all just surface level. This is cool. I've seen this for a second. I like it. Yeah. It, you're not really getting into why you like it. You know, you just say you like it. And I think telling the artist why you like their work is very, very important. Because as an artist, you want that kind of feedback. You want to know how your work is moving people, how your work is touching people, kind of just like, yeah. just people's opinions of what you're doing. Because, you know, you can spend your whole entire life just creating art for people to say they like it, but you're never going to know if it actually impacts anybody. Yeah. I And I love your, I have to remember that idea because you're, I didn't, I don't think, I don't think I realized that, but sending that, the particular post with the artwork to the artist and then messaging them about that, I think is a really, really good idea because, <laughs> Yeah, no, I love that because obviously, you know, it's, you're right. What the best part of the best feedback is that which is done behind closed doors because you know, it's coming from somebody who's not, you know, putting on the fanfare because let's face it, social media is one giant like bread and circus. Like, you know what I mean? It's like, that's all it is. It's a giant, like, look at me show. Hate to be cynical, not trying to be cynical, but (laughs) truthfully, there's so much of so much of social media is grandstanding. So much of social media is like climbing on top of other people to get to the top. And it's not a place where we have good connection. It's, it's, it's a paltry means. It's a very paltry means. So if we're going to utilize it to authentically connect, we have to do it a bit differently, you know, like it can be done. And that's what I mean, where I think your idea of sending that artwork to the artists to really actually hone in is wonderful because yes, then you can very deliberately, very specifically be, be able to share what it is that resonates with you because yes, that's what it, it comes down to. It's 
who's being touched by the work, who's being moved by the work. That's the feedback that I want to hear. And it's also like when people have like carousels and they have like, you know, five, six different images. It's like, why would you not ask the artist, which is their favorite image they posted? Because at the end of the day, like surely it has to be a two-way conversation. It's not just for you to be like, oh, I like number three. Like that's cool. But then what about the person posting it? What about them? What about asking them? Because that's how people start conversations. Like yes. this is, so the thing that I find so funny about social media is that a lot of people say to me, oh, you're very good at connecting people. And it's, it's bizarre to me because like, all I do is what I assume everybody else does, which is just talk to people. Like mm -hmm. I don't do anything special. All I do is I look at people's work that I'm really touched by or I'm moved by. And I tell them, that's all I do. Like that's literally, and my, actually my joint instructor this morning asked me, was like, how do you choose which artists to interview? And I said, I always ask somebody for an interview because there's a question I want to ask them. There always has to be some kind of question I want, or there's, there has to be something I want to know about their work, which is mm -hmm. why I want to interview them. So it's kind of like, I find it insane how unsocial social media is. I find it insane that it's very much, as you said earlier, it's like a look at me show. Everybody's throwing their work out to get people to, to interact with it, but they're not doing the interacting themselves. Like it's a two-way street. You have to interact with the audience if you want them to interact with you. Similarly, they have to interact with you for you to interact with them. It, 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 it boggles my mind just the amount of artists who say they want, and I mean this respectfully, so I don't want people to like unfollow me or whatever, even if they do that's life but you know the amount of artists who claim they want community but won't communicate is insane like <laughs> you have to put the time and effort in and it's yeah. not going to happen overnight that's what people need to people people it, it frustrates me as you can probably tell because people forget like it doesn't happen overnight you're not going to be viral tomorrow and if you are that's not what you want you don't want to be here for a week you want to be here for 10 years you're not going to yeah. get that kind of success or that kind of level of reputation overnight you know i just think it's I just wish more people spent a little bit more time and I know everyone doesn't have equal time, but I wish people spent a little bit more time just actually communicating with one another, you know, send people messages, send people voice messages. It's much more personal. You know, you'll get to know people way quicker and you get to establish a relationship way quicker through voice messages, in my opinion. Um, but just communicate with people more. That's all you have to do. You know, if you're struggling to find an audience to buy your work, okay, fair enough. That's frustrating. And then build yourself a community of artists that are going to support you because in those times where maybe your art is not selling or in those times that where maybe you're not sure about your work, you will have people who will, who will have your back, who will back you up. And, you know, people you can talk to that will tell you this is the way art is meant to be. This is the journey of an artist. You know, I think it's very easy to isolate yourself from community, particularly online. Anyway, that's my TED talk over. Oh, Aaron, no, please. Like I, I won't applaud just because it would ruin the recording, but I mean it like, and one of, one of the things you said is quite literally the line that makes it true that you should be doing the flying fruit bowl forever as your career. I mean it when I say like the fact that the reason you have this and the reason why you choose the artist you do is because there's always a question you want to know, or there's always something you want to know about the work is exactly the reason why this is so important and why what you do is so incredibly important. And that's why, seriously, that's why I hope so, so much and cut this part out if you want to, but like, that's why I seriously hope that you can pivot this to being a full-time career as soon as possible, because just like with any, an artist doing it full-time, it's not about Yes, we have to be business minded. We have to be able to make money, and that's super important. But 
if we are doing what we're made to do, it will work somehow. And that's why I think you are so made for doing this sort of thing. Okay. You are brilliant <laughs> at it. And that's, sure. I just like, yeah, that's, and you're completely right. And I think your advice is gold. And it's something that even I really want to try to implement more in my own life where you're right. We need to spend time communicating. If we're going to build a community, it's not, it's not a surprise in the English language that those, yeah. those two words have the same like prefix, right? Like yeah, there's a reason there. So yeah. we need to be willing to actually put in the legwork and actually put in the effort. And then it's funny because I think you're also right. I don't think it takes that much effort. I think it takes a little bit more, you know, it just takes that extra step. It doesn't mean you have to go out there and develop an app and then get everybody to join your app so that you can have a community. It just means, you know, taking that small step to message somebody that you really want to just let them know that you value what they do because you feel it sincerely and then just strike a conversation if it naturally comes, you know? Yeah. And as you said, sincerity, because in the day you should always mm -hmm. just talk to people. It's like, talk to people how you've only spoken to, you know, the mess, the kind of, like, this is the thing, like, this is the thing that I, I know I will cut that part out. So I'll cut this part out as well. But like, this is the thing that I find insane is just like, as an artist, you know, you, you kind of have a rough idea of the questions you'd love to be asked. So why mm -hmm. don't you ask those questions to other people? Like yeah. all, my, all my interview notes, these are questions that I would at some point in my life have thought, I would love to be asked this. Let's ask other people. These yeah. are questions that I'm curious about. That I'm like, oh, actually. And I'm lucky that, you know, if I'm at work and I'm cutting some timber or whatever, in my mind, I think, you know, oh, I should ask people about, I don't know, their color palette. And I can do that. I'm in a lucky position where I'm like, I could call, I have friends that I can message. Them, like, yeah, by the way, it's like, I was thinking about lenses yesterday, actually. And I was like, I've got a few people to message. Like, oh, let me see what lens they use. So I know what lens to buy. Um, yeah. And it's just like, I'm lucky that I can think like that. But it's kind of like, I don't know. I just, I just feel like conversation especially in this day and age is so important and it's like the younger generation who are growing up to pure on the internet are not going to have any social skills whatsoever and they're not going to understand what it means to communicate and converse yeah. um, which is scary i think anyway this sorry i'm rambling at this point so that's like a no weird no tangent, but... such a good no so many good points seriously right okay let me move us on to those i'm going to be rambling forever so good. i have a really interesting question that i'm actually kind of i'm actually really curious about your answer and it's a question i posed to a few people along the way should i say um and it's like and the question is like do you think there's a difference between an artist and a content creator i really do and i think the content creators that i enjoy have said the same things and so i know that maybe there's more than just my own thoughts that are that are going into this um and it's funny because for me the majority of what I actually like leisure wise, like quote unquote entertainment, it's not, I, it's not really a lot that I invest time into, but what I do is typically YouTube and it's not art related stuff really at all. And so I've become very privy to like what content creation sort of looks like on different levels where you have folks who are truly doing it as a career content creator. And then those who are just doing it as a hobby or something incredibly small because the people that I enjoy sort of run the whole gambit. And so what I found for content creators versus artists is I typically think an artist is the one that's producing what the content creators are making content about. It's almost as though the content creators are the ones that typically will be focused on exploring that which is made or adjacent to that which is made. Whereas I think the artists are more focused on 
the actual production and making. And I truly feel like if the internet didn't exist, you would have the same number of artists and then you would maybe have like 5% of the number of content creators we have. Because I think the internet is the reason why we even have them in the first place. And I say 5% because you'd still have them. They would just be in your print newspapers. They would just be doing things like, it would be really neat if somebody was doing like a mail-in thing where people were actually like sending out newsletters weekly, like via post or something. Like I think content creation would be so much different. And I think that there's a weird quasi space, however, where you'll see artists who do content creation and then you'll see content creators who also do some art on the side. And so it's, I think that's what grays up the, the landscape. But for me, I think the danger that artists have when it comes to quote unquote content creation is it starts to get into that really commoditized place. It starts to get into that really entertainment based place where entertainment's fine. But that's again, you're getting so close to just simply doing something that's ephemeral for the dollars. And then the authenticity sort of comes into play. You know, I think like the authentic, when you're doing something authentic, like for me, I couldn't, I almost couldn't do something like that unless it was ironic. I couldn't do something like that unless it was like, oh, I'm going to make this because, and I actually, I have like produced work. I haven't like produced work that's um, content creation. No, but I mean, like I have referenced that in some of my work where it's like, it doesn't feel authentic and you're deliberately getting told to try to produce something for the sake of numbers or for the sake of an audience or that sort of thing. So I I really think there's a a big distinction to be made, but I also think that there's maybe room for people to do it if they find it in what they do to actually be fitting and actually be appropriate, you know? Like, for example, I use Patreon because for me, it's a place to share share writing and audio recordings about the work for people who might want a closer look at it. And so it's archived in just a different website where it's away from social media and it has its own value. But I know that there are other artists who will use a platform like that, you know, strictly to produce like extra quote unquote extracurricular stuff adjacent to their own work in order to, um, get people to support them through that platform in a different way. So if that makes sense, I guess like that's more like where content creation and art can definitely sort of have a crossroads where you're producing stuff for the sake of consumption and for the sake of the community. I hope that makes sense. I don't know. Like there's and that's the thing. Content creators are great. And I think that content creators who are just content creators, like the ones that I enjoy again, the most, I love them because they're great content creators. I don't think they would even call, they probably wouldn't even call themselves artists. Like maybe they would in, in some sense, like I described earlier, where it's like everybody is an artist, quote unquote, but re, in reality, it's like everybody is trying to share what's within them. And it's just that fulfillment comes in different ways. Doesn't always mean artist. It can be different things. So I think there are people who would be like, yes, I'm a content creator. And I feel that this is my, what I'm supposed to do. And I can tell you the content creators that I love and value, like they also would probably say the same thing because it's, you know, that's like their placement. And I'm so grateful for them because they're exciting. They're like the best. They're honestly, you know what I mean? It's like, those are the things that I go to when I just, that inspire me because they're passionate about what they do, you know? See, I think you're very fascinating though, because you're not one of these artists, not that there's anything wrong with that, but you're not one of these artists who do create 
you know, rows of you dancing around with your whack or, you know, kind of let's see what's the trending audio at the minute and create a reel with that. Like you're not one of these artists, but I'm, I'm kind of really curious. So generally, like, do you ever feel the pressure to, to kind of conform to that just to get, you know, maybe more views or to have kind of a bigger audience? I think, I think, yeah, like to a degree, there's always like that temptation to, but I find what's funny is that always, I think where I recognize that it's getting to me is only ever an agitation. Like I always feel like agitated by certain things. And that's usually a good like red flag for me to be like, all right, something's awry here because you aren't, you're feeling agitated. And so in, in times you like, I'll feel moved. Like Instagram annoys me because it wants to make reels out of everything because that's what's trending at the moment. And I did use reels. The reason I used reels was on accident because I happened to have videos of the art of my work that were like slightly too long for a quote unquote regular video. And they made their way into reels. Then I found out that I could incorporate music into them. And I was like, I love music. It's part of my practice. So I was like, well, I'm going to put a song that actually is relevant or somehow for me, even if I'm like the only person in the whole world that knows why this is a connection, that's fine with me. But I also have found that I'm like, you know, I'll do that in some instances because yeah, I, it's valuable. And then there, and then what's dumb is yes, it'll get like a lot of views or whatever, like much more traction than anything else that I would post. But I, I always try to just stay away from it and just make it a necessary evil if it comes to it. You know what I mean? So yeah, you're right. Like I, I appreciate you noticing that. Like I really, I really do try to eschew the trending means of going about things, especially with Instagram. But the times when it might appear like I'm doing anything like that, it just usually ends up being happenstance, you know? That's actually really funny, just because the amount of effort and time people put into reels. Um, and then you're here you are just doing it accidentally and it's working out very well but I think also the thing is that like we have to remember that you know I actually like reels I think they're interesting I think the whole idea of content creation is very interesting it's something I'm very much just interested in at the minute and I want to get into a bit more for artists that's something I'm sure I've spoken to you about before or I've spoken to plenty of other people about but what I kind of feel like with reels at the minute at least is that it's very much quantity over quality in terms yeah. of like yes your yes your reel might get you know thousands if not possibly millions of views but how many of those people that are liking that are actually looking at your work how many of those people are actually kind of you know sticking around to actually view the rest of your weapons and actually see your back catalog without just scrolling through everything else you're doing and, and hitting a like and then leaving your page you know because i think we kind of forget like numbers are great and i feel like i say this in every interview but like numbers are great but unless your follow account matches your bank account it doesn't do anything for you because at the at the end of the day, like we all follow pages for different reasons. We all like things for different reasons, you know. And I I don't know, like I get like similar to you. Like I'm not trying to be cynical about Instagram because everything I do is from Instagram. The reason I do what I do is from Instagram. And I'm very mm -hmm. grateful for it. But I'm also very, very aware, even more so nowadays, that things just don't things and maybe it's just because I don't need to make money up the fine fruit, but it's not the it's not the end goal. But like numbers i think people are just worried too much about numbers and followers like and they're like focus on your craft focus on living your life focus on spending your time in the way you want to spend it not spending your time doing things to please others because at the end of the day time is very precious and as an artist you don't have that much time because you're creating stuff you know i don't know that's just some advice from me that nobody ever asked for but i don't know 
I love that. But that's the thing is though, like, you know, and you, you mentioned earlier about how you want to start doing content creation for artists more. And that excites me. And that's something that I would be like, sure. Because again, I know you're a passionate individual who has an investment in the work that you like. And so if you were to like, I would love that. I would revel in that because to me, that's like, I would love to see how somebody is moved and then how they want to take the, what they're feeling about the work and spin that into content creation from their own thing, you know? And like, obviously, obviously I don't want the work marred or mistreated because I believe in like the dignity of it, but if it's in the right hands, then I don't have to worry about that, you know? So it's like, I love that. And that's what I mean too. Like, I think content creation is amazing. I think there's a great place for it. And I think it's got to be done by the right hands. And I think if you're an artist, doesn't mean you're a content creator because you maybe you don't have the tool set to do it. I probably could do like I have some tool sets, like when it comes to like, you know, video editing or what have you. Like, for example, my YouTube that I started, yeah, it's super easy for me to like cut up a, a video and then just export it. But that's the thing is the reason I do it, I'm using that those tools because I was inspired to try and share some ideas. I was inspired to try to share a little bit more because I felt like I I had a an opportunity to sort of like encourage folks to take a longer look at art. And so that's why I started my engagement with art videos, but it, I never look at it as like content creation. I look at it as stuff and ideas that I'm leaving behind. I always look at it as like the ideas, you know, I really truly believe that you have to make sure you're doing things honestly. You have to do things with integrity. Otherwise it's there's, I just feel like there's no point otherwise, you know, it, it's, it's wasted. Absolutely. I totally agree with that. And actually going back to something I said earlier about followers as well, I just thought, I just had a thought while she was saying that in terms of like the, the thing about having a lot of followers also is that you have a responsibility as well. Mm-hmm. You know, if you have say 20,000 followers or 40,000 followers or whatever, if you have like a quote unquote large number of followers, you have a responsibility to engage with the audience also. Like, as I said earlier, like it's not a one-way street. Just because you have a big number doesn't mean that people are instantly going to buy what you're selling. You have to build relationships with people. And yeah. the, and just as a, like, not that I need to give anybody any kind of warning and not like I'm anybody to give people warnings, but you have to also remember that the bigger your followers, like the larger your following gets, the harder it is to keep up with people. Um, yeah. The harder, like that's one thing I've definitely noticed in the last six months for me like the way I interact with people now is very different to how I interacted with people six months ago like it's it gets a lot harder to keep up with people especially if you want to have deeper conversations and especially if you want to actually invest in people's work and especially if you want to you know just kind of just go a bit more in depth than just being really shallow I think um, it's just something to bear in mind I think for people because I feel like I probably say I like every single interview but I feel like it's just important to remember that you know, you have a responsibility. It might not seem like it. It might just seem, oh, this is just internet points. But, you know, a lot of times we forget that the internet actually does have an impact on real life. And, mm-hmm. you know, you can change your life very much easily from having the right kind of audience online. Yeah. So you just have to be careful with how you deal with your responsibility, I guess. It goes back to what I was discussing earlier about how I feel that sort of obligation to be good to people like there's an obligation there and you're right the internet is a great veil for keeping us from recognizing that there's human life on the other side of the screen right like it's so easy to just look at it as flippant but that's the i think that's one of the problems with our society that's the reason why we've sort of been contorted and disfigured in this way especially just psychologically and how we interact with each other is that we have lost the fact that there's actually human life 
that we have that what we do and say on the internet has implications on, you know, it goes back to that whole thing that everybody says that's saying, it almost sounds cliche at this time, but it's like, would you say what you said online to somebody to their face? And if not, then you shouldn't say it, but it really is true because it's like, you know, like if you're interacting with people, whether it's online or in person, you are still interacting with people with lives. It shouldn't be looked at as anything different. And I think that's the problem we run into nowadays. That's so true. That's absolutely true. Like that's a really good point. And and you and it goes vice versa. Even if it's something that you would say positively, you should also say that to people. You know, yes. take take the time to to thank people whilst you can, because who knows what they're going through? Who knows what's going to happen tomorrow? You know, yeah. they may be, you know, an artist might be in the throes of being, you know, very unhappy and uncertain with their work. And you know, your kind words could really make their day. Or yeah. even not just that, like what I've learned, not that this is anything, this is not, this is an Aaron's advice podcast, although I should probably start that at some point. <laughs> but like, what I've really learned is that people like attention in the right kind of way. Like, you know, you create work to be noticed. And when you're noticed, you appreciate that. Um, not, you know, because people are egotistic, because actually everybody I've ever spoken to and everybody I interact with have has been nothing but pleasant. Like every, like I can honestly say, like, I love talking to artists because they're just the most pleasant people. But the amount of people who have said to me, you know, I really appreciate you noticing my work or, you know, it makes me feel like this certain way. It makes me feel positive about what I do. It's like, you know, all I say is like, I like it or I enjoy it or I ask them about it. And it's like, that's all people want. Just take the time to talk to people. That's my only advice. My only advice as one of my very many pieces of advice. Um, it's just super important. I can't emphasize how important it is enough just to have a conversation with somebody. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, that's why this podcast is so valuable. Like it's, it's so much more than just, you know, it, it's funny because I say to people, I say, you know, I'll give you a little challenge and the challenge is to talk to five artists you really like by the end of the week. Just send them a message. Yeah. You don't have to get a reply. Just send them a message because more often than not, it seems really daunting. And I feel that way too. There are artists that I have interviewed and the artists that I speak to, there's a few artists even in my in my inbox right now that I've that I'm speaking to currently. And I'm like, how am I speaking to these people? Because it's just like these people are so kind of like in their own lane and they're so amazing. But you kind of remember everybody's a person, everybody's human. There's always yeah. a connection. Absolutely. So like on the topic of social media to a degree, but also just like technology in our phones and stuff, I found December 2021, I updated my phone and I have an iPhone and Apple did this thing where do not disturb would actually take the notifications off of the, the lock screen even because it used to be where I would silence my phone while I was working and it would at least get the notification alerts to go away. But if I actually went into my phone, I would see the badge icons and stuff. And the problem that I find when I work is it's not so much that my phone's going to distract me. It's that I was using my phone as a tool and I still do like in my notes in my phone is where I like keep notes for my work and stuff. Um, and so when an idea strikes me in the middle of working on a piece, I will open the notes app so I can add it down. It's like super important for me because I have like a, I have a weird tiered hierarchy of system where like I stratify different types of notes. If they're more flexible, if they're more fluid, they will be electronic. If it's something a bit more, needs to be solidified it will be handwritten and then i have a typewriter that i use and keep with me daily yeah it belonged to my great grandmother and uh it's literally from the 50s and it still works like a charm and those notes are very much like the i i have a a commitment level to those right because those are like typed and they are 
set in stone. If I'm handwriting, there's a bit more wiggle room, but it's still solidified. And then if I'm using the electronic notes, it's much more fluid and dynamic. So I had like this weird system. So, but the problem I was running into with my phone was that when I would go in there to add to my notes, even if it was silenced, I would still see notifications. And it's not that I would want to go to the notification. It would literally take the idea, I would, would leave my head. Like it was sometimes, sometimes like my inspiration is just so fickle. It's so ginger and delicate that it will just literally fly away if I'm not careful, if I don't get it down like immediately. And so to your point, yeah, I keep my phone on silent when I'm working regularly. And I have like, very specifically certain people who if they need to get a hold of me, they can call through, but only call through. And there are a few people as well, like business wise. Okay. Too as well, yeah. but it's something that doesn't happen frequently. So I don't have to worry about it often, but that's the thing is it's like, it's so helpful for me to not even see the badge icons. So I have very specific times when I try to keep to when I'm going to go my notifications. I'm the type of person who does my email like once a day, I like go, I go in it in the morning, um, for like some daily things that I read. Um, but then after that, I don't do it usually until the night with some exceptions, like in my workflow, if I need to, if there's some, if I'm sort of doing things differently, but it's, and same with, so like same with turning on or off silent. Like I wait until a certain point in the day when I know I'm going to get to that because I don't want it to take me out of like the practice. Don't want to take me out of the process because it's, again, it's like, it can be I don't know, difficult. And for me, social media and Instagram, to be honest with you, it's great to see the work of other artists. Um, oftentimes I do feel inspired by it, but then there are other times when I get really tempted to compare in a negative sense, to compare with others in a negative sense, you know, and whenever it happens, I always, again, try to recognize it's going on. And so I try to, you know, take precaution, but it's not, oh, I don't always find that it's a healthy environment for us as artists. And I think it's, you have to find that degree of separation that works for you. So I think that's so many interesting, funny things you've said there that I'm like, oh, I can say this, I can say that. But I think one of the things that I'm going to say, just at the last point you made is that like, actually there's an artist today, um, uh, an internet friend, shall we say, um, mm -hmm. super lovely. I've, I've interviewed her for the podcast. She's just one of those people that like, I always catch up with on occasion. She's just super lovely. And she posted today about how She's feeling very kind of um, just pressured because she's seeing all these artists create all this work and her work, she's not creating as much work. And, you know, I sent her a message saying, look, so look at your work. Your work takes hours and hours. Your work is very detailed, but you can't compare your output to other people's because the work you create is unique to you. Like your work demands this amount of detail, this amount of attention. Actually, it might not be like her work. I'll send her work to you later. Um, yeah. I'll, but it's kind of like, you know, as somebody actually who does create work that is very detailed, like, do you ever worry like, oh, I'm not creating enough? Yeah, I, I mentioned that earlier where it's like my work, because it's drawing, it takes a great deal of time, like a great deal of time to do what I do, building up the layers. And I mentioned earlier as well, I don't blend. And when you don't blend when you're drawing, it's quite literally just a buildup of layers, which means there are hours and hours and hours of drawing. I actually did a portrait of my grandparents and I can't remember if I mentioned this to you already or not, but the portrait of my grandparents was a photo on their wedding day and it wasn't terribly huge. But when I finally, you know, I, I'm very strict about counting my hours and I always try to round down and keep myself honest. Um, I was, it was 280 hours on this one portrait and yeah, it wasn't that big. And 
you know, I'm grateful it turned out, I think pretty resemblant of the photograph, but it just goes to sh like, yeah, that's a prime example. And all of my work takes that long, you know, like the pieces in the windows series, the smallest works, some of them, I think the lowest amount of hours is 17. And that's for a piece that is six inches by seven inches. That's incredibly small. But there are pieces in that series that go all the way up to 70, that go up to 80 and even beyond that. And most of my work, like it ranges, it always ranges depending on size, depending on factors, but constantly hovering around 50, going up to 100, going even in IOI 2, the largest couple of pieces, if I remember correctly, and I have it written down somewhere, but those largest pieces go up to 150 hours. And the problem that I run into is it's like, Okay, at my stage in my career where I'm still building traction and building a buyer base, how do I how am I supposed to afford to sell that at a price sure. that feels fair? If I charge $10 an hour, which is below minimum wage here in the United States, I'm still only going I'm 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 having to charge like $1150 or excuse me, no, $1500 for one piece. Who's going to pay that? But for somebody of my, at least in my caliber right now, where I'm still trying to buy yeah, a have buyer base, I have to take a loss essentially. And that's only at $10 an hour. That's if you're literally try like, that's again, less than minimum wage, almost two thirds of what I believe minimum wage year is here in the United States at the time of, you know, recording this, but it's like, how am I supposed to, you know, so I, it's a weird balance and also, to be honest with you, the reason the postmodern body of work is done in the way it is, where I do works on paper mounted to a wood panel and resin board, is because it allows me to have a greater output for a lower price point because I don't have to worry about framing the works. And I also can do work much more quickly doing that method because of that. I'm not relying on a framer to finish framing. I can get him to just attach hangers on the backs of wood panels much more quickly. So you're this other artist you're referencing. I have a lot, a lot of empathy, empathy for that artist because that's a reason too why I am constantly working. Because if a gallery wants to exhibit me, or if I want to put a proposal out for an exhibition, then I need to be looking about three to four months at minimum yeah. ahead. You know, because I need to make sure that I am show ready and show ready means that the work is not only developed, but the work is then produced. And then the work is, if it's resin poured, then it's also going to require resin poured. And then I have all the logistics on my end to handle prior to the show. So I am constantly looking at my schedule, usually like a month in advance. I'm always trying to look at like my workflow day to day, but then also week to week and then also month to month because I need to see what is reasonable and realistic to get done in a certain amount of time. So I honestly don't think I could do what I do if I wasn't doing it all the time, you know? So I'm grateful that I'm constantly working. I'm grateful that like I'm constantly inspired. Dude, that idea of foresight though is very, actually a really important, I think, piece of advice that I don't even think that I've thought about because obviously you have to kind of have an idea what's coming around the corner because, you know, you're self-employed. You know, yeah. you need to know what's happening, but also at the same time, you don't know what's happening. So right. that's a really good point. And you're right, like particularly for somebody in your in your position who creates a work you create, you have to know you've got the time to create that piece of work before you're going to exhibit it. That's such a good point. That's a really good point. Yeah. And I see I'm in a place right now, to be honest with you. And hopefully, hopefully at the time when this is being heard by others, when it's released, and I hate to be topical, forgive me, because I know I'm not trying to do that. It's supposed to be evergreen, forgive me, but I'm percolating right now on some work that I hope to start in late September of 2022. 
into October, 2022, that I'll kind of be going in, into the fall with. And I'm percolating on it right now. I think that my time frame will work out that it could start then. And then I'm sort of already looking at writing a proposal that I could share with galleries in for the potential of getting this landed on a calendar for like 2023 as a show by like a January, February timeframe, possibly if I really, really push, I could probably do it. But that's just a, it's a really good example of, I'm trying to look at trajectory and I'm trying to look at the, the logistical side of things while at the same time, constantly being in touch with what I've spoken of, where I'm listening to what's coming up inside of me, you know, like yeah. I need to, there's a need for me to be ready and producing the next thing, but I have to be aware of what I'm feeling and I'm trying to tailor like the business approach and the, again, the proposal aspect to that work while the work isn't even, it doesn't even exist at this stage and trying to bear in mind like hours and stuff. Like, you know, that's the thing about this whole thing of being an artist to air. And it's like, you just learn these things by doing, there's no handbook. Yeah. There's nothing like that. I hope with all my heart that there are artists out there who listen to this and what I'm telling you right now might even just help them with their own scheduling and stuff, you know, and like, maybe this will give them ideas too, because that's essentially the only way I've learned is by trying and you get better with it, you know, and that's, you get better at budgeting your time, but it also is just, that's why I'm delighted by being in my practice every day. I'm delighted in the way that it just keeps flowing and the way that the inspiration comes, because if it wasn't that, then I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing, you know, like it would be impossible, but for some reason it does proliferate for some reason, it just keeps coming, you know? And it's because you're so dedicated to it. I think that's why it is. It's because you're, you're aware of the situation you're in and you're doing what you can to, you know, kind of keep yourself afloat and provide, you know, the, the satisfaction that you need to through your own work, not looking for validation from other people. I think that plays a huge role. You know, and I'm not just that, like, as you just said, like, you know, you have a foresight into scheduling, you have a foresight into what's going to come around the corner, you have a foresight into, oh, I need to listen to my, to my gut and understand, like, you know, what my instincts are telling me, but at the same time, I also need to be realistic about what I can do. I think, you know, you have, you know, the acumen for it, and I think not everybody necessarily has that. And I think, you know, that's such, actually such a valuable skill that you can teach other people or something that you can share with other people. Yeah. Like, and I hope that this is a good place to do that. You know what I mean? Like I'm hope, like I said, I hope others artists hear it because yeah, ultimately, I don't know. I've, I've only developed it over time. You develop it gradually. You develop it as you go. Like again, so many parts of being an artist that that's why that's the thing about it too. Again, going back to the whole discussion of how this is a call and stuff and how this is what I feel you're meant to do. If, and if you are somebody like that, it will stand out because all of these, these are the factors that I described earlier to quote unquote, weed somebody out. Like these are the things that will come to you and that you will develop if you're meant to do this because it's necessary. And it's funny because, you know, as I tell you about this stuff and these plans and these hopes I have, I, I mentioned earlier about how I describe it. My career is like a marriage and stuff. And it feels really special to me. And like producing work is kind of like my offspring, so to speak, not in like a weird way, but maybe a little bit. Um, Paul Clay will empathize with me. So I'm not that crazy. He was famous. He was a big deal artist. I digress. Um, but anyways, like, honestly, my heart starts to flutter because you would think that I would be filled with like all this panic of like, how am I supposed to get all this done? But the reality is like, you're excited about the possibility. You're just excited about, what might come to life next, you know? And that's why, that's why pregnancy takes nine months 
and it's incredibly hard and I am not a woman and I, I empathize with women. I think it's, or sympathize, pardon me, because I can imagine it's incredibly difficult, but the reality is when you have that child and that gift and that life in your hands at the end of it, it's extraordinarily rewarding and it just fills you so deeply. And that's, I experienced that over and over when I produce work. It's just so something about it is, it's just changes my life every time somehow. That's pretty incredible. That's very incredible. That's an incredible way to look at it. That's a, it's actually, it's a very funny analogy, but very good analogy. <laughs> I know. I like hesitate to say it often because I mean it with sincerity, but then when you really say it, you know what I mean? People are yeah. like, you're a little weird. You sure you're okay? I'm like, probably not okay, but yeah. Who is okay? That's the question. Um, <laughs> I don't think society says up to be okay, but that's a whole different topic we can talk about some other time. So a question from the last artist I spoke to, um, Adol Mystery, an incredible mixed media artist who creates these just really incredible images of landscapes from both London, like combined like landscapes from London and America combined. They're just, they're just gorgeous. I actually was very fortunate enough to meet him at the other art fair in London and I actually saw his work in person, which is perfect. How oh, wow. I that's how I got a chance to interview him. It's just he's just an incredible artist. I actually really love the I actually really want to buy a piece at some point in the future. Yeah. Whenever I can. So um he's just one of those cool artists. Um but his question for you. So his question for you is why do you wake up in the morning and want to make art? You know, I think I've kind of addressed this a lot over the course and I loved this question when you sent it to me because there's just a weird thing inside of me that I call the inner need. And that's because I read a book called Concerning the Spiritual and Art by Vasily Kandinsky a few years ago. And it super changed my life because he describes exactly what I feel. It's just this weird inner need as artists, we have to create art and it just doesn't go away somehow. And I can tell you that, especially because through like the hardships and the trials and the conflicts and in some of my darkest, hardest moments of my life, there's like this weird flame of inspiration there's this weird sort of urge that just doesn't die and even i've had some challenging months in the past year even and it's funny because in those moments those really challenging moments that i can recall very vividly i was inspired i was inspired to to, to like produce I, I found myself writing something down that came to me i was feeling awful you know so it's like it's just for some reason it's there. It's an impetus that exists inside of me that I can't explain, but I can tell you it, it's there. That's super cool. I think many artists would agree with you and uh, kind of, you know, just understand that. Because I feel like it, it's hard. I mean, I guess it's hard to describe, but like you just feel the need to create. You know, you don't yeah. know where it comes from. It just, you just feel the need to create. And also the fact that you just do it. Even if right. things aren't stacked in your favor, you still just do it. You know, you, it's, yeah, I, I understand what you're saying. Um, but so do you have a question for this person I interview? All right. Okay. So my question was, what is your favorite part of this career? But then also I want you to ask them, and if not pursuing this as a career, why not? So essentially it's like, I want to know what their favorite part of doing this as a career is, but if they aren't a career artist at the time, I want you to question them on that because I want to challenge somebody who is in similar shoes to just get themselves to think about what they need to do. You know what I mean? I want to like encourage somebody in a weird sort of way through that question, because I think like I keep telling you in our conversations, I want to try and like 
get them to get in that headspace because I think it's too easy for us to fall into complacency in this life with like all kinds of stuff. But the fact of the matter is nothing worth doing doesn't take risk. Nothing worth doing doesn't take that step out and it's not going to feel comfortable and it's not going to feel easy. And there's going to be a lot of friction. There's going to be a lot of hard stuff, but like I just got done telling you, if this is what you're made to do, it's going to somehow work and it's going to somehow continue within yourself. So my next question is from a good friend of mine, a good internet friend. Um, his name, I ask this question in every single conversation, so people will probably know what I'm about to say. But his name is Ryan Dean Haas. I spoke about him to you before <clears throat> in our previous messages, and I will send you his work later on today or tomorrow whenever I send it to you. But um, a while ago, we were talking about this idea of personality and skill of the artist, and which is more important. So the question I have for you is like, which is more important, the personality artist or the skill of the artist? This is such an interesting question, and I feel like a whole podcast could be devoted to this seriously, yes. because I think personality of the artist is important to a degree. The skill ultimately is what I think will prove who is the artist and who really isn't. Now, that is to say, we do live in a time, a post-Warhol time, I guess you could say, where there is so much that comes into branding and marketing oneself and how well somebody can be a mouthpiece for their own work. As much as I've described how I, I eschew it in a lot of aspects, I wouldn't be where I am today if it wasn't for coming from a business background and coming from a family of salesmen. And again, as much as I hate doing that for my work, as, long, as much as I hate pushing it, I know that I need to be that at this stage of the career still if I want to get to the stage of the career where I don't have to do that. So on one hand, I think the personality for an artist is very much important because it will be how you are able to make connections and get in touch with people and share and sell your work. But it only goes so far because if you don't have the work to back it up because of the skill, you are only going to burn out eventually and you're only going to fizzle away. You know, I think an artist is made by their work. An artist is not made by their brand. But because of the internet and today's culture, you can fake it quite a bit. You can fake it quite a ways. And maybe, just maybe, you'll, you will fake it until you make it. But I think the only way you truly, quote unquote, fake it till you make it is if you actually have the art below you. Like you actually have what you produce below you. That's what, uh, for me, for example, that's what excites me about the work I produce because it's like, I feel like what makes me an artist is being able to just show the breadth of what I've been given to produce that's come out of me thus far in this journey. And I think that's what's so exciting about producing art is that every new piece, no matter what, is another testament to what I've been given to produce in this journey. So yeah, I think it's such a good conversation and there is so much nuance and there are so many individual things we could discuss about this. But personality is going to help you get established. But if you don't have the work and the authenticity to back it up in that authentic process, I think you're just putting on a show. I think you're a showman. I think you're not really an artist in that respect. You know what I mean? Like it's maybe you're a really, really good actor or maybe you're a really, really good, you know, MC or host. But I don't necessarily think that you're going to be like necessarily like an artist in the 
you know, I guess can like the sense that we are thinking of like a contemporary artist in terms of, you know, producing art, producing stuff that's beyond you. Like you are the art, I guess, if your personality is the driving force. See, it's funny you should say that this is like could be a whole podcast episode. So I'm definitely planning to make that a topic of a panel discussion at some point in the future. Yeah. Um, I think it's really important. I think it's such an interesting question. And uh, Ryan was... It's a, it's a conversation we had and it was a really interesting interesting conversation and i posted we both posted polls to our followers to ask them and see how different the results were and the results i think the results on my end were like more people said the skill but more people said the personality on his end or something like that i can't quite remember but the results were quite different and we were quite surprised um but yeah. then i said but then i said to him that's because like ryan himself is a very extroverted artist he's very very good at, at his people skills he's very very good at promoting himself he's very very good at branding um, and he's one of the few artists that I've met that I really kind of like, I'm really surprised by because he does things so differently to everybody else. And he's like, I'm very lucky. I get to speak to him the way I speak to you. Like I message him offline, all that kind of fun stuff. Yeah. Um, and just, I don't know, his personality and the way he does things are completely opposite to how I would ever do things. Yeah. But they work so well. I have so much respect for him. It's it's so, he's such an interesting guy. And just his ethic, his work ethic is just honestly incredible. I have nothing but respect for him. Like, yeah. and his work is, and also the thing is like his work is also gorgeous. His work, right. you know, he can back up what he does in the way he lives and the, the things he stands by through his work. Cause his work is, exactly. you can see he's put the time in. So I have so much respect for people like that. So, you know, he's awesome. That's why I mentioned him on pretty much every podcast. Not that he's paying me, you know, <laughs> <laughs> not yet at least. I mean, we'll see about that. Um, <laughs> so my next question is for you at least, is art a form of escapism or a form of exploration? I really like this question too and I think it could be yeah it honestly like it could be both in a lot of respects and I'm trying to find in my notes where I put this because I did have really good thoughts on this at the time exploration versus escapism I think it always does come in different degrees and I think it matters very much the viewer and it matters very much the subject matter of the work because I think with my work especially it's very conceptual so it's it's meant to move hearts and minds and make you think and make you explore certain ideas and emotions. And then I think escapist also though, in a sense where you are able to inhabit sort of like a different headspace. I think maybe my work is more exploration than escapism often, but I think of like my new body of work the last five years. And I think there's more escapism there, so to speak, because I'm taking the viewer through experiences. And so I'm asking you to sort of come with me through a different period or through periods of time that have come to pass. And so I think even like that whole notion that I described earlier being like a proprietor of dreams, I think there's a sense there where I want to bring people into a different place. I want to bring them into sort of the depths of their, of our hearts and minds as human beings. So yeah, I think it comes down to the individual. I think it comes down to the artist and the maker. But I think that's the beauty of art, you know, I think that's the beauty of it all. And I mentioned earlier, like why I love video games. And I think what they captivated my imagination so much as a kid, I think part of it comes down to, you know, a lot of people look at that as escapism, but I look at it as like just other worlds to explore. So on one hand, sure, you're escaping to somewhere different, but I want to, I want to eschew the notion of escapism. That's often like a negative sense. Like you're trying to escape reality I don't think that's necessarily true. I think it's a, a mental, a way for our minds to be refreshed or renewed because you're just taking a step away from 
from life while still inhabiting it. So maybe exploration is a better term in that sense. Yeah, it's a neat idea. Like it's, it's I think what makes art so special. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's, it's because, you know, art can be both at the same time. Mm-hmm. But I think yeah. for you as an artist, it can also be a way for you to escape the world and for you to kind of explore your own mind. So again, it could be both for you as an artist personally as well. Yeah, and I completely agree with that. So my next question is actually not my question. So it's from a podcast by Andrew Norris, Artsy AF. Um, and the question is, how has art changed you over time? Oh, it's such a good question. Like, I, I I think I've always had a sense of discipline and worth ethic that's passed down to me. Like I, I mentioned, like from the background I come from, but pursuing art, like it really has forced that to be strengthened. Like I described earlier with my scheduling and stuff and my process, I've learned that over time and it's had to be strengthened. And again, it's one of those parts of being an artist where if you don't have that sense of discipline, if it doesn't grow within you, then you aren't going to have any, any luck with being able to continue doing this sort of thing, you know, like you'll, you're going to fall, fall flat when it comes to the scheduling and to the required sacrifices of it and that sort of thing. And it's taken a great deal of time to mature. And I've, I've had to grow through my insecurities too. Like I've described how, you know, convincing myself that I'm an artist, like I've had to, I've really had to, um, get through a lot of insecurity and I keep growing through that because I still struggle with it. So I think that that's definitely something that's changed in me over time too. Yeah. It's it's interesting to kind of reflect upon kind of like the places that you were and the places you are now, because I think we always forget that like our art grows with us, you know, it's not just the fact that, you know, we always, we're always changing. I think we tend to forget that. And then, you know, what you thought was really cool a year ago is not something you'd find cool now or, or like and your work that you produced five years ago is not the kind of work you produce now necessarily so you know I think it's always good to think about that you know yeah I completely agree so in your opinion what makes a good piece of art and the second part of this question is what was the last image or piece of media that captivated you I, for me, because I think the way that I produce it's, it's work that is rich with meaning and emotion and ideas, and it has to speak, it speaks to truth in a way that grabs me and that just, there's something profound about it. I think that's for me, what just, cause I don't want to say good piece of art because I'm a type of person that doesn't really want to, you know, there's so many different possibilities when it comes to art, but I think for me, what it really grabs me is it has to be that sort of thing. And stuff affects me in different ways, obviously. You know, like I described music as huge for my practice and music affects me majorly and it's super important to me. And I think that's the thing is like success comes down to producing something authentically. And I feel like that comes through in the finished work. So I think ultimately, like for me, I find I gravitate towards that stuff that is really that does that. When you asked to like what captivated me recently left an impression, um, I just couldn't help but think about this because, and again, it sounds so weird, but I mentioned it earlier, but back in March, I, um, I listened to an album by Taylor Swift that I hadn't. And I mentioned earlier how much I love her and enjoy her as a, as a writer and a creator, but there was an album called reputation. She did several years ago that I didn't get into because at the time I was, much, much earlier in my career and stuff and my ideas about art and what have you. But 
I found out that it's a concept album. And when I found that out back in March, it totally changed my whole outlook. And then I gave it a listen and it grabbed me like crazy. And to this day, it's one of my favorite albums of all time. And so because of when I was listening to it, it was actually deeply inspirational for me for the Windows series that I was working on at the time too. So it's just really funny. It, it grabbed me and then it fueled me creatively. And then that's why I keep thinking about it. And similar actually to an album that came out at the very start of the year by the weekend called Dawn FM, that album, um, I actually heard it around the time I started producing the works for the new windows pieces. And, um, it again was another album that I would honestly put on when I would work for the series. And I would put it on usually sometimes back to back with reputation because for some reason, both of them were feeding a lot of the ideas and concepts and emotions that were going into the work for me. So yeah, it's funny. It kind of comes down to these. I'm what grabbed me were the things that ended up fueling me more artistically, you know? Yes. That's interesting. They're actually very kind of very different levels of, musicians which I, I think is actually really interesting and also i think it's fascinating that you chose music as a last thing that kind of left a good impression on you as opposed to like art which i really appreciate because i feel like it's always interesting to think about how you're inspired by different disciplines not just your own yeah it's super true for me and that's the thing too is like i've described my connection with video games like to be honest with you over the winter i started playing through a game called final fantasy 8 and what's so funny is that i think the time that i was working what I was working on and spending time with that game during that period was inspiring to me, uh, you know, like in, in a lot of deep ways. But I, I think for me, I find that it's because it's not what I'm doing. It's because it's not also art in the visual sense what I do, I guess. Like it's that adjacent thing. That's why like, I don't really ingest a lot of visual art, believe it or not. Um, on like that basis, like it's almost like when I do ingest visual art, it's very precious time. Like it's it's going to like a museum, you know, it's it's like yeah. it's it's actually seeing work face to face. So maybe it's just because that work, music and video games, they're able to be ingested in a different way that makes them for me. I don't know. Maybe because you can take music with you, whereas you can't take art with you. Yeah, like unless you're actually like investing in the work, which, you know, is obviously completely different than paying for an album or streaming an album. You know what I mean? But it's like you can listen to music in any environment, but you can't view art in any environment. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, because like I described earlier, your phone is sort of a, eh, it doesn't work the same way. You can't just view artwork in the same, with the same meaning, like you have to be physically with it. And not just that, I think we also always associate music to memories. You know, we, there's always yeah. a certain place you will listen to this album or there's a certain song that will take you back to a certain time. Whereas we don't really do that with art because we see it, but we react very differently to it. Maybe that's why. But I think that's a, that's a really good, um, that's actually a really good thought. Actually. I'm going to think about that. Um, I actually, and just like quickly interject, I actually really, I want to produce my, I want my art to be like that though, too. I actually want people to connect with a piece in a way that takes them to like an, a memory and association, like something, I don't know how or why, but I feel that like, I, I agree with you that like, we do that with music. We do that with things. We make those associations. I actually really hope that that can be something people do with my visual art, even though, yeah, it is so much different and harder to do that with it. And I actually feel like it does. I feel like there is a sense of nostalgia in your work. I think there's a sense of, you know, as we spoke about previously, like we're both similar ages, we kind of know the life before the internet and after the internet. 
And I kind of feel like your work does provide some kind of sense of nostalgia or some kind of sense of um, throwback to memories where they, maybe the internet was a lot more primitive or maybe the way we use the internet was a lot more primitive. You know, I wonder if that's something you ever think about. It really is. And it's so funny because prior to actually starting the postmodern body of work, there was a body of work that I'd been ruminating on for some time. And it's still always with me because there is one day I feel like I will explore it, but it was sort of, it was sort of looking at that period in time and how physical computers felt at that time as well, not just in their physical makeup, but just the way that they functioned and operated. And that the comparison I think that could be made between that and like the human form and the way that we function. Um, but I really like hearing that from you because I think as I spoke earlier about imagination and about how artists aren't always taking from their lives, but it's sort of an amalgamation. I think that part, I hope that part of me is always in my work. And I hope that part of my past is always in my work. And I hope that part of, of who I am. And I, and I think is it, I think it will always be. And I think that's the thing is it's going to come in different degrees and varying degrees. I want to create work that is about our time now that's about the present, but I also want to create work that's about, our past and about sometimes my past and about sometimes my journey and about others' journeys and about humanity. And again, that's the reason why I'm so excited about humanity and life and human nature and people. It's just that I want to express this life. I want to express this life that has happened, that is happening now, maybe expressing things that will happen or could. But I think more of the focus for me is always on that past. I'm an incredibly nostalgic person. Like, I get really inspired because of the past. I get really inspired because of things, you know, I, I have a whole body of work idea too. That's kind of about the nineties and I wasn't even alive for all of it or a lot of it, but because of when I grew up, I have a weird longing for it that hasn't really ever been realized. And I think I want to make work about that. But my point being that, I don't know, my work is very emotional and it's conceptual. Like I say, it's this weird dance over and over. I keep describing it that way because I take these ideas that I have and I take these notions that come up within me and I marry them to what it makes me feel and how, what it makes me, what it just brings about inside of me emotionally. And I feel like that's what bubbles to the surface. And again, I can't help, but but that let that come to the fray, like the fray, you know, even when I'm doing things that are very idea oriented, I'm doing them because they're making me feel something. They're making me feel something profoundly. And so I hope that my work does always carry that sentiment of who I am within it. And I hope it also is always universal. I'm always trying to do things that are multifaceted in that respect. Yeah, absolutely. Well, your work is extremely multifaceted. And I think that's what I really I generally think that's what kind of like the strength of it is, is that the fact that it can be read so many different ways and it's about so many different things. But you're not just tied down to creating the same image over and over again. It, you know, your work is it can go in a thousand different directions at once, very much just like a computer virus. It can just do so many yeah. things at once. You know, it, it kind of it's I don't know, there's just something very unlimited about the work you produce. And I I truly just love the way that you have the postmodern body of work and then you have series within that and then it's just kind of like they all open up different avenues and worlds that also interlink and it's kind of like you know it's almost like you're a creator of a world you know you're not just an artist and I think that's I don't know there's something really there's something really powerful in that and I think that's kind of why I'm always interested in art I think a lot of people ask me why I like to talk to artists I think that's really why it's because with art comes a certain sense of power that you might you might 
think about or not think about they kind of like it's art changes can change lives and it can change the way we view the world and i think it's something that we take lightly but it's not something that i think people think about often enough i don't know there's something about it that just really deeply fascinates me um but yeah i know i agree with you deeply too that's kind of goes back to what we spoke on earlier like i I feel I feel that sense of gravitas. I feel that sense of responsibility. I feel that sense of duty because yeah, there's I honestly I very quickly look at it as like an obligation and an ethical sense where yeah, I'm I have to produce what's authentic because it's can't be, you know, I, I have it's it leaves an impression on people. It leaves something lasting. It's not small. It's not, you know, it's a mystery. It doesn't make sense how it does, how it operates, right? But it's like we know it does somehow. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's a, a great way to think about your work because you're conscious that even if it doesn't seem like it at the time, that it will have an impact on somebody. Yeah, it, it could in the future. And that's the beauty of it. Like it's maybe not for this, maybe it's not for a person right now, but there's somebody yeah. that it is made for. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Like absolutely. Because we forget like art is timeless. You know, mm-hmm. we're not creating just for today or for tomorrow for the views. We're creating for life. We're creating yeah. for the future. You know, I don't know. And actually talking about the future, so I, I guess a good segue into a question, slightly out of order, but I'm sure you'll be okay with that, is that what would your younger self think about your work? This is such a weird thing because I my younger self would absolutely love it. And the reason why it's weird is because when I was in high school, you know, I described to you earlier how my journeys, even with higher education, I, I wanted to be an actor. I started pursuing musical theater. I, I even from my youngest days, I wanted to make video games for a time a little bit, but I wanted also to be like a movie director. And they're all like being an artist and doing what I do now wasn't something that was sort of on my head. Right. But I had this weird experience in high school where I would have these weird sort of visions of what I hoped I would become. And what was weird about it is I felt like I was hoping that I would become like somebody who produces art. Like I felt it inside of me, yet it wasn't sort of like the plan that I had, the track that I had. And what's even more crazy and that I kind of love is I have a new piece in my new body of work that references this because it feels so visceral to me. And I didn't really realize it until about a year or two ago, but it dawned on me again that I had actually had these feelings in high school. And again, it's what's so strange is I had these very simple, quiet thoughts and ideas of the person I hoped I would become. And somehow I feel like I am becoming, I did slash am of always still becoming that individual. And so the reason I say all that is because if I saw what I've made, if if you had showed young younger me at least like teenage me all of this i think he would have just also been like wow like blown away you know what i mean like yeah. it's weird but it i sound probably super strange but saying all that and like confiding right. in all of that with you even though other people are going to hear all this <laughs> but no no you know it's strange i genuinely had that experience and so that question excited me when I saw it on the, on the interview notes, because yeah, I got to tell, I get to tell you about that because it's weird. And I think it's kind of mean. It's, it's an interesting question because I think yeah. it's, it's one question that I think throws a lot of people because we never ever think about how we've changed that much through our journey of art. And also the thing about that question is it says your youngest app. It didn't say which part of which age. So yeah. I think, you know, it's kind of open to interpretation of like, 
you get to choose at what age you mm-hmm. imagined you're looking back at your work. Um, I don't know. There's something, it's, it's a question that arose from a conversation, as far as I remember, I had with another really great artist, they're all great artists, uh, called Donna Irvin, who is one of the just loveliest people ever. She's just so precious. But um, she just, she, she's Scottish. She has like the best accent ever. And she's just such, <laughs> she's just, she's just she's just one of those people that are just just so lovely she's so supportive so lovely and um oh just such a joy to know you know like I, the thing is yeah. like i don't know how it seems comes across to other people but i'm so grateful for what i do you know i'm so grateful that i just get to talk to such amazing people all the time um it's just i don't know i can't really explain it it's just like i'm so grateful you know it's it's super weird because people are just like oh yeah we're just talking to people but to me it's not like they're not just people that are artists, you know, you're artists, you're not just people, you know, I don't know. Anyways. Have, but, you, listen, um, have you noticed this whole conversation has been like a gratitude off? Like clearly we're, yes. this is what we're supposed to do because we feel, you know what I mean? Like we both yeah. feel that. That's what I'm telling yeah. you. Like, that's why I do this full time. Okay. It is Hold something I'm going to, something I'm definitely going to, you know, definitely, it's something that I'm definitely going to factor into my life. Um, I'll have, to th- I'll have to think about it. But yeah, definitely something I would love to do, actually. The more I think about it, the more I'm like, you know what, actually, this would be a good idea. Um, so, I'm going to anyway. cattle prod you into it. That's what I'm oh, going no, to do. Totally. I'm not going to say no <laughs> to that, honestly. That'd be good. So the last two questions. Uh, so the first question is, well, it's a double barrel question. Well, they're both double barrel questions, actually. Um, so what does it mean to be a successful artist? Success as an artist takes so many different forms. Ultimately, like I said, what it comes down to is, for me at least, I think success comes from producing the work that's authentic to you, that feels sincere and true, because we, at the end of the day, you have to be grateful and excited about what you've made, no matter what happens, no matter who sees it right away. Because again, we're producing what we feel we need to make, not what we're trying to appeal to others. And I think that's where the success comes from, you know, like, yes, I have a very business mind. I have a very like money like success and money are way too tied. And that's something that I work through every day. But the reality is that success as an artist means staying the course and living this one day at a time and being and doing it and like living this, you know, journey, how you were made to live it. Again, if you were made to do this, if you are an artist and you feel that inside of you, somehow it will work. Somehow it will, it will come together in spite of all the obstacles. And so that's the success. The success is not saying no, the success is not backing down. The success is, is the fact that like, I can look back on the past five years of doing this professionally and say, we're still here, you know, like that feeling is so real to me that it's like, we're still on the journey. That's success. You know what, no matter the ups and downs, the fact that you're just still doing it is the success. So the second part of that question is how do you measure the success of your own work? That again, to me is, have I stayed true from the conception to the full realization? Seriously, that's why my notes are about making the choices that I hold to, you know, making, making choices about the work and the decisions in the production phase, and then holding to those choices to the end and looking at the work and saying, yes, I've done that because even older pieces, even if I, if I can view older work and say, I have grown as an artist, if I was still true to my, my process and my practice at that time, then those pieces will still have merit. They always will have merit. And that's, I think where the, what, what makes a difference because people I think will be like, Oh, I have a hard time looking at my early work. 
And I don't want to feel like that, nor do I think I ever feel like that because I know that I was being authentic at that time. And so it was true at that time. So growth can still occur while the merit of the work will still exist. Yeah, that's a, that's actually a really great way to look at it because I was actually thinking about that today, actually. So it's finished with that because I was thinking about my older work today and I was thinking like, I still really like it, you know. It's yeah. someone actually someone actually commented and an artist I uh I invited to the Flying Fruit Bowl. Such a, a really lovely, really, really lovely guy called Steve Roberts. Um I need to get back to him actually. And uh he, he sent me a really lovely message about the podcast and about my own work. And I was just really humbled because like it's nice that people go back and actually see what I do. It's just I find it very, very odd because, you know, as I've said to you previously, like I don't I don't showcase my own work on the Flying Fruit Bowl because it's not about mm-hmm. that. But I always find it really sweet when people go out of the way to look for it. Because, you know, it's there, obviously it's there in the bio if you want to see it, but it's not something yeah. I promote necessarily outright for the most part. There are times where I do. But I don't know. I'm always very humbled when people actually kind of like to scratch the surface and actually go beyond the person that's creating all this content for artists. You know, right. I don't know. It's interesting. I don't know. It's kind of interesting. But um, anyways, I digress. So then the very last question, which is a double barrier question, which is what are you currently working on and where can people find more about you and your work? All right. So currently working on, this is the point where I overthink about how topical things are and then I'm get concerned, but I will say I have a new body of work called the last five years that I think is probably finished the time of working and God willing, it will be finished of course at the time of recording. Cause I'm, or at the time of listening to this, because at the time of recording, I'm finishing the last five pieces in it. Um, but I just want to encourage people if they want to see what I'm currently working on. My website is trills.com. It's just chrilz.com and i use instagram as my main platform which is just trills art so c-h-r-i-l-z-a-r-t and honestly that's i keep up weekly on there so i try to share stuff especially in my story i like to like put um draw like as i'm drawing like take video just of like small snippets and stuff but like that's probably the best place people can find me i also mentioned earlier my patreon and the patreon is again specifically like I publish writings about the work. I publish audio recordings about the work and about the journey as for archival sake. And for those who do want a, a closer look at it. Um, and the reason why it's on Patreon is because again, it's for those who just want to invest a bit more deeply and want to connect with it. So like the barrier that exists because of the paywall is sort of like for both you and me, because it holds me accountable to making sure that I am having that there for my audience, my, my viewers, for those who want to engage with it more deeply. But then it also, it tells me that those individuals do actually want to approach it that way. So that's why I like to keep that stuff off social media because it is precious and it is more important. But again, it's also because social media is for fast paced and consumable content. And I don't feel like that's where sort of the ideas and that deserve to sort of like exist because they'll just kind of get pushed away eventually so yeah it's hard doing art and like having the online presence you know because like so much of it has to be business so much of it has to be like socially stuff that it's hard to put place things and tell people where to go if they want to engage with it you know more deeply so definitely check the website definitely check out instagram for whatever is happening but most importantly like i'm always thinking about more ideas and stuff you know, and people are always welcome to message me if they want to chat about my work. Like, I'm always happy to discuss that. So like, I won't say it here, but you'll find like my email readily in places too that I've described. So that way, if you do want to get in touch with me, 
more personally, like, please do, because it would be an honor. Or send them your voice message on Instagram. Yes. And then you end up becoming friends and you end up yes. interviewing me on a podcast. <laughs> so <laughs> I might end up having way too many podcast interviews. I don't know. That'd be perfect. You can't say no to more publicity. Uh, I will, though. I'll vet them because let's be honest, if there are a million people doing what you're doing, I don't know how much the quality that the bar that you've set for this is way too high. That's my <laughs> I, point. I, I really appreciate that. Genuinely. Because why? Well, I, I don't even know if I do anything a good job. Like, there are so many really great podcasts that I listen to um, that I'm like, damn, you know, why do I do this? But anyway, let me say thank you. I'm going to talk to you in a second anyway. But I'm going to say thank you just to end the podcast because that'd be clever. So uh, thank you very much, Charles, for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Aaron. This was such a delight. Like it, The thing is, like, it's always delightful to talk to you. That concludes the second and final part of my conversation with Charles. Thank you very much for listening. If you have any questions or comments about it, please send me an email at theflyingfruitbowl at gmail.com or via social media sites such as Twitter and Instagram. The Flying Fruit Bowl podcast is available on a variety of platforms such as Spotify, YouTube and Apple Music. If you like the show, please consider rating, reviewing, sharing or subscribing on any of those platforms to help spread the word. Also, please don't forget to check out theflyingfruitbowl.co.uk for daily art inspiration. And if you're an artist or a creative, please get in touch for a chance to be featured or interviewed. We now also have a Patreon page if you'd like to support the platform further. Tiers start from £1 and the rewards and pricing can be found over on patreon.com forward slash the flying Additionally, we have a PayPal for one-time donations and they include a link in the description of this interview. Once again, thank you very much for taking the time to listen to this interview today. Until next time folks, please stay safe.